Good morning, everyone. Uh, blessed Father's Day to one and all. Let's continue to pray as we begin and commit this sermon to the Lord. Papa God, we want to greet you and we bless your name. We wish you a blessed Father's Day because you are our Heavenly Father. Jesus, we thank you because you have revealed and made the way. Return to the, our Heavenly Father possible. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that it is through you that the Father's love is poured out into our hearts. And so continue to pour your love and to reveal your truth to us this day and empower us to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's uh, sermon title is uh, Father's Blessing. And later on, we'll look at the Father's Blessing, our Heavenly Father's Blessing upon our lives as well. This past week, my wife and I, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Uh, it's on the 14th of June. So 14 year, 14th of June, we went on a simple family getaway to Batam. And uh, after our wedding anniversary dinner on the next two days, uh, there was a rainbow. Actually, on the 15th, there was one rainbow. And on the 16th, there were two rainbows in the direction of uh, Singapore. So rainbows, as we know it, are a sign of God's covenantal faithfulness, right? When God promised that he would never flood the whole earth again. And certainly God will not flood the whole earth again. But I'm not sure about us human beings. <laughs> With our destructive behavior, we are kind of uh, causing this climate change and we are flooding the earth ourselves. So God is not the one flooding the earth. We are kind of doing it to ourselves. And scientists have caught what we have done, for some of them at least, irreversible climate change. And so our actions do have consequences. Today's passage also warns us of the consequences of our actions, Genesis chapter 49. But before we get there, let me just give us a quick summary of what we have covered so far in our Genesis book study from the January all the way until now, the month of June, and then later on the context of Genesis 49. And so in this few months, we have briefly studied the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In all their stories, we saw how God was utterly faithful despite human sin and human weakness. And through their stories, we also learned about generational blessings and curses, how they pass on both the good and the bad to the next generation. We also learned how all of them demonstrated faith and believing in God, despite not seeing the fulfillment of God's promises in their lives. None of them, for example, inherited the land. They were all promised the land, but none of them inherited the land, certainly not the full extent of it at all. And even the 12 descendants of Jacob are nowhere near the countless stars that Abraham was promised. And yet, all of them continued to believe in God despite not seeing the fulfillment of their promises. And so scripture teaches us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for all their human weaknesses, there's one thing about them that was great. And that was their constant faith and loyalty to God, just as God always remained loyal and faithful to them as well. And so today we jump to Joseph's life. Actually, Pastor Emmanuel last week briefly covered a little bit of that. And he shared that Joseph was essentially forgotten by men, but not forgotten by God. And of course, Joseph, like his forefathers, he never forgot about God. And even though others did, but not Joseph. And so I pray for all of us too, as uh, life after COVID resumes, that truly we will never forget about God. May we always be loyal to God as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were. Now actually, Joseph, in comparison to his forefathers, if you think about it, actually he was pretty much blameless. In fact, in comparison to most, almost all other Bible characters, Joseph is almost faultless. For example, if I were to ask you independently outside of this sermon, can you think of someone who in the Bible never once succumbed to temptation, never succumbed to powers, money or sex, 
who got into trouble with his own brothers because he spoke the truth, whose identity was revealed, was veiled, sorry, for a long time, who trusted God even when his life was threatened, who was brought so low to become a slave, subsequently raised so high to be second in command, who was humiliated but never retaliated, but instead he returned good for evil. If outside of this sermon, if I describe this, these things, these qualities, most of us would probably think of Jesus. Jesus is someone like that, right? But actually the person I'm describing is Joseph. That's Joseph, really. The, first, uh, the picture that you see now on the screen uh, is uh, by someone uh, who painted this in Israel. I know someone in Israel, so he sent me this picture, uh, this painting. It's a painting of Joseph finally revealing his identity, his true identity to his brothers, and then reconciling with them. So Joseph then really is a type of Jesus, what the scholars call a type, in a in sense that he points towards Jesus. Joseph points towards Jesus. Joseph is the foreshadow of Jesus, who according to the book of Hebrews is the real substance. And so for us as the church, I truly believe we are prophetically called to be like Joseph in our generation, to walk by divine wisdom, to walk by divine revelation, so that we can reveal Christ to the world. At our Together Conference, in case you missed it, very quickly, summarize for all of us, we learn then that we gather to receive Christ. But when we scatter, we are to reveal Christ. We gather to receive Christ, but when we scatter to the places that God has called us in the world, in our families, we are to review Christ. And that includes our homes as well. We are to review Christ at home. And so I truly believe that as a church, if we live as Joseph did, never complaining, never grumbling, even when being ill-treated, uh, mind you, even when he was ill-treated, he didn't utter a single word of complaint and grumble. When we possess this divine wisdom and revelation to address the problems of our world, remember Joseph addressed the famines, the problem of famine in this world, then truly we will reveal Christ to the whole world. So I pray for all of us that we will be like Joseph, that the Spirit of God will empower us to be like Joseph. But I won't talk too much about this as Pastor Mihi will wrap up the Genesis series next week with the person of Joseph. So let's return to Genesis 49. And we find it contains the last words of Jacob or Israel, his new name, right? And so they contain his blessings over his children. But if you were to read Genesis 49, I won't read the whole passage for you. You can follow along in your own Bibles. You will hardly think of what Jacob was saying really as blessings. Let me just give you a few examples. Reuben, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. What kind of blessing is this? Simeon and Levi, Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. You are a lion's cup, Judah. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Wow, quite gross, you know. Just imagine. Issachar is a donkey lying down among the sheep pens. Then will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path. Benjamin is ravenous wolf. What kind of blessing is this? <laughs> are you, do you think these are blessings? Well, at least I think we shouldn't be too harsh in the use of uh, animal uh, imageries because Jacob, after all, he was a nomad, you know, and these are the things that he would see in his daily life. And so really what we should look at, not so much are the, you know, calling his son, for example, a donkey or a viper, but really the qualities that these uh, animals represent. 
But having said that, time does not allow me to examine all of the blessings, each one in detail, since there are 12 of them. But I will just focus on the first, the first few blessings and draw out lessons for us today. Let's begin with the word spoken over Reuben, who is Israel's firstborn, his firstborn child. He says to Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Now, you may think that Jacob was you know, so-called tough on Reuben by calling him turbulent as waters and stripping him of his birthright as firstborn. But as Professor uh, Craig Keener, New Testament Professor Craig Keener pointed out, we should not miss the mercy shown to Reuben by his father Jacob. You see, Jacob could have cast him out and disowned him completely in the first place. But no, he kept Reuben within his family, although he did lose the, the right as firstborn. And to call someone turbulent as waters may sound really chaotic, but uh, if you've ever been to, as I have been, and as a naval diver, former naval diver in turbulent waters, I can tell you turbulent waters are not weak at all. They are in fact very mighty and very dangerous. But that's not really the main point of this blessing. The main point in, lies really in Reuben losing his birthright. We have already heard how the local preacher Calvin covered the point about Esau losing his birthright over a bowl of Ang Tao Teng, right? Red bean soup. And that's how the famous story, we know Esau lost his birthright. But did you know that Reuben also lost his birthright? And the account is found for us in Genesis chapter 35, verse 22. And most of us miss it because there is only one verse that talks about him losing his birthright. And it's this. While Israel was living in that region, and here Israel refers to Jacob, one person, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. And so lesson number one for all of us today is this. Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. And the consequence of this act of losing his birthright for Reuben is not fully seen until we read 1 Chronicles chapter 5, for example. There in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, we read this. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, and then the author gives the context, the bracket. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical order record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and the ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. And so if you flip with me to your, your Bibles, First Chronicles, you will see that the genealogies of all the 12 sons of Israel were listed, but the tribe that is listed first is Judah. Judah was the tribe that was listed first, presumably because David came from the tribe of Judah, as we know. And since the book of Chronicles detailed the history of the, of the kings, so they decided perhaps to put Judah first, even though the birthright belonged to Joseph. And then came Reuben. So by right, it should have been Reuben listed first, and then Judah, and then the rest of the sons, right? But in First Chronicles, it was Judah listed first, because Joseph has lost his birthright, and then he was listed second. Again, even this, we may not think of Jacob's reminder of Reuben's sinful past as a blessing. But I want to challenge us to think further. If you think about it further, warnings of consequences ultimately arise from a parent's heart for their children, isn't it? When you warn your children of certain actions and consequences, it's because you love them. Think of the times we warn young children, little children, don't put your hands into the electrical sockets. Don't bite your fingers because they contain germs. Don't play with fire. 
We are warning them of the consequences. Why? Because we love them. And so we need to see warnings really as blessings in disguise. We may be quite firm in our tone. Don't do it, right? But in our hearts, it comes from a good intention. We actually want to protect them from the bad consequences. Similarly, God our Heavenly Father repeatedly warns us of consequences of our actions. He says He presents to us both the good and the bad, the blessings as well as the curses. Obey God and you will live. Disobey and you will suffer the consequences of your actions. We saw how in the Garden of Eden, Eden, Adam and Eve, they were warned, don't eat of this fruit, right? You eat it on the day of Eden, on the day you eat it, you will surely die. And so they disobeyed and they were cast out of Eden. On the other hand, we saw Abraham obeying God and he became the father of nations. The book of Hebrews repeatedly warns us, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And these are also God's words of warning to all of us. Be careful, listen, so that you don't drift away. And again, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who wants us from heaven? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. This is referring to Jesus. Listen to the warnings of God our Father and of Jesus. They come from their good heart of intention for us. Just because we have confessed Jesus as our personal Savior doesn't mean you know we are once saved, forever saved. That is not the Methodist understanding at all. We must continue to live in a way of holiness, living out our salvation with fear and trembling, heeding the warnings from God's Word for the rest of our lives. Every single day, we need to hear the voice of God, the Word of God, to warn us, to keep us on the right path. There once was a father who had three daughters, Each of the three daughters got married, and so the man had three sons-in-law. But somehow, all three sons-in-law had this perception, this very negative perception of their father-in-law, that he was a very hard man, miserly, stingy, and they didn't interact with him very much. And one day, the the day came when the old man was about to die. And so he called all the three sons-in-law to him, and he said to them, I'm going to die, here is a sum of money, build me a house. The first son-in-law thought to himself, build you a house? What for? You are going to die anyway. Why waste this money? Let me get the cheapest contractor around, use the cheapest materials, buy the cheapest furniture, and I'll keep the rest of the money to myself. The second son-in-law felt the exact same way. He hired the same lousy contractor as his brother-in-law. But the third son-in-law decided to express his love for his father-in-law because he loved his wife. So he thought to himself, my father-in-law is going to die anytime soon, but at least let him have his last wish so that he may pass on peacefully. And so with the same amount of money that he had gotten from the father as the other two brothers-in-law, he used all that money he can to get the best contractors, to use the best materials, got the best furniture and built a spectacular mansion for his father-in-law. He left no money for himself. After all three houses were built, the sons-in-law came to the father-in-law and said, Here, Pa, your house is ready. Here is the key. And then the father-in-law said, I'm going to die. What use is that house to me? Keep the house you built for me as my parting gift to you. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Moral of the story, what goes around really does come around. We reap what we sow. Actions have consequences. 
If we sow in love, just as Joseph did, even though we feel that we were mistreated, we weren't loved, we will reap a harvest of love. Our perception of God, our Heavenly Father, does matter a lot. Our perception of people does matter to some extent too. But if we, const- if we choose, and really it's a choice, if we choose to do what's right, even when we are wrong, then we will reap a harvest of love. Let me say that again. If we choose to do what is right, even when we are wrong, as Joseph was ill-treated, then that's when we become like Joseph to reap the harvest of love. So that's lesson number one. Actions have consequences. Lesson number two, words have consequences. I have no doubt that these blessings that Jacob pronounced over his children are very prophetic. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks not just of their sons, the child of them in their time, but really of the tribes of Israel for many generations to come. But we should not miss the point that words can have long-lasting consequences too. Words can have long-lasting consequences. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, in the New King James Version says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what we say matters. What comes out of our mouths really matters. Let's look again at Genesis 49. You follow along in your own Bibles. So we have already seen how Reuben lost his firstborn, right? Simeon and Levi, they were indeed scattered and dispersed in Israel. The tribe of Levi became priests. Eventually, we know that. They had no inheritance of the land. Instead, they were given cities dispersed all over Israel. However, this should not be seen as a curse because for the tribe of Levi, God was their inheritance. So they had the greatest and the best inheritance of all. And six Levite cities were eventually chosen as cities of refuge. And so the scattering of the Levites was God's intended blessing for Israel. We may not see that from a worldly point of view. Oh yeah, I've got no, no place, no inheritance. But from God's point of view, it's the reverse. It's a scattering of Levites and priests to guide his people across Israel. As for the tribe of Simeon, look at it, look at the map. It's the only tribe which received its inheritance within the boundaries of another tribe. See the scattering? Jacob pronounced, Simeon and Levi, you will not have the inheritance. You will be scattered. And sure, it came to pass as well. How about Judah? Judah, in in Jacob's blessing, he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom he belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And so Judah, of course we know, King David came from there, Solomon as well, but eventually it was the Davidic king, Jesus himself, who rules forever, and this scepter will never depart from Judah until the obedience of the nations shall come to Jesus. So we see this prophetic, you know, the blessing taking place for many multiple generations. As for Joseph, Jacob pronounced really the best blessings upon Joseph, since Joseph is the firstborn. And so in ancient culture, the firstborn definitely gets the huge lion's share of the blessing. So this is what Jacob said over his son Joseph, Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the H.O. hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. So, notice here, Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the H.O. hills. And so what Jacob is saying is, My words are a greater blessing to you, than all the property that you can own. 
all that the hills and the whatever they provide for you, they are nothing in comparison to my words of blessing. And so this teaches us, again, my point lesson number two today, is that words do have power and have real consequences you know, to the words that we say. And so fathers, especially fathers, of course it applies to mothers and everyone as well, be careful of what we say, especially to our children. And this is a sermon I'm preaching to myself. Because harsh words spoken in anger can have damaging consequences on our children's psychological well-being. In contrast, words spoken in love and encouragement will build up their inner being. And so again, notice what Jacob says, your father's blessings are greater than everything else. So this lesson is true, again, not just between fathers and children, although this is Father's Day and especially important for fathers to take note of this, but this is true for all relationships between parents and children, between spouses as well, the words that we say do matter, between siblings, friends, colleagues, and certainly within the body of Christ as well. What we say does matter. I'm not sure if you ever thought about it, but is that is the reason why every service ends with a benediction, a word of blessing, a good word of blessing. Because words of blessing have tremendous life-giving and long-lasting consequences. And we proclaim blessings to you in Jesus' name, in God's name, right? Because that's the Heavenly Father's final word of blessing for us as we scatter to our various callings. We already know that words of ill intent can have horrible effects. I've seen this played out at various uh, platforms and in my own lives as, as well. The negative words we, we speak can have long-lasting negative consequences. A child may grow up with very low self-esteem because the parents keep saying negative things to this person. A spouse may carry all the hurt and bitterness leading to, you know, to all these hurt inside conflicts in the relationship. Church members live because of a harsh word that is spoken. I've seen this, you know, negative consequences happen at so many levels, so many times. And so again, the word of warning from the scripture is this, be careful what we say. Not just actions have consequences, words also have consequences. In the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific, some villages practice a rather unique form of logging. If a tree is too large to be felt with an axe to be chopped down, the natives cut it down by yelling at it. Woodsmen with special powers creep up to the tree just at dawn and suddenly scream at it at the top of their lungs. And they continue this for 30 days. And amazingly, the tree dies and falls over. The theory is this, that this yelling kills the spirit of the tree. And according to the villagers, it always works. If we think to ourselves, Ayo, these superstitious people, how can they act like that? Screaming at trees, how primitive. They don't have the advanced technology we have. Just use a, you know, saw. Really? Are we really that advanced and modern and sophisticated? Think of the times we yell at machines, at computers, at people. Well, actually, the Solomon Islanders may have a point because yelling does kill the spirit, especially of people. It kills the spirit of people living, right? Of uh, the people that we love. Think of the times we yell at our spouses, our children. We yell at our office. We yell at the service crew, the people who are supposed to serve us. Instead of being thankful to them, we yell at them. And Singaporeans, can I say this? We really need to stop our complaining and yelling 
It's no good, especially as Christians. How can we be witnesses to the world if we are behaving exactly like the next Singaporean next to us? How can we be different, holy, if we act in the same way? And like I said, this sermon is I'm preaching to myself too. I know, I remember the times I yelled at my, ch- my, my own spouse and children before. And this past month, twice. <laughs> I also need to repent. Yelling. Words have consequences. So be careful what we say. Words have consequences. That's the negative side. But the positive side is also important. So don't just think that you shouldn't say negative things. You need to also learn to say the positive things. And so one of the things I practice as best as I can, I don't do this every day, just to confess, but what I try to do whenever I can is to pronounce the Aaronic blessing, Aaron's blessing uh, over God's people, right? In Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27, the Lord bless you and keep you, the one I always say for benediction. That's what I also pronounce over my spouse, right? my wife Val, and my two children whenever I can. I don't do this every day, but I try to do it whenever I can as the head of the household. I want to encourage all the fathers to do that. But even if you're a single parent, you can still do it. A single mom, pronounce their blessing. And even if your children are grown up, they're not little and they're not young with you, staying with you anymore, you can pray that prayer of blessing for your children in your own daily prayer. You don't have to just pray in their presence. Of course, it will help to pray in their presence, right, so that they can hear the words as well. But even if your children are grown up, they're no longer near you, you can pronounce the ironic blessing on them. So when you pray, you pray, the Lord bless you, my son, my daughter, the Lord bless you, or your grandchildren. Those words have consequences as well. Final point for today, God's word then has consequences. If actions have consequences and words have consequences, the greatest consequences come from God's word because his word is the greatest life-giving power. In the Middle Ages, despite, you know, that the... Uh, the, the, the Bible was read, uh, read and by most of the monks. There's actually a cer- certain segment of the monastery that, that, be, that the monks couldn't read. And so they had this practice. Every morning, they would meet in the chapel in front of a very large Bible. And in silence, they would listen. While a monk who could read, a, literal, a literate monk, would read a sang- single passage out loud. And so this monk would read the passage once, and then he will step back after this reading, he will bow, and then retire in silence, sit in silence for a while. And then he will get up and then read the same passage from God's Word again, the same passage. And he did this over and over again until the chapel was empty. Imagine that. So he had to keep reading it until one by one the monks left. And the idea was very, very simple, very, very powerful. The monk would only leave if they have heard from God that day, a personal word from God, not something, you know, I, yeah, I know this passage, David killed Goliath again. No, each monk will sit there waiting until they heard a word of life from God. And then they will get up and do their daily chores. And then the monk who was reading will leave when everyone has left. And so the key lesson is this, as God's word invaded their lives, then they learned that they were ready for life. They never step out to do any work until they heard the word of God for themselves. And so it is with us too, as we have learned from our Together Conference, every time we gather, we are really gathering in the presence of our King to hear His word. We are gathering as a kingdom people with a kingdom purpose 
We are gathering in this assembly area to receive life, to receive Christ, to receive instructions on our assignments so that we can reveal Christ in our areas of operations so that we can release the Father's blessing to the whole world. And never forget that the Holy Spirit is God's greatest blessing to the world. It is His Holy Spirit who will also guide us into all truth and reveal God's truth to us. So the question is, are we listening to God's Word? Are you listening only once a week or less? <laughs> How often do you listen to God's Word? His words of life and blessings. Do we make time to listen to what our Heavenly Father says to us and about us? I just want to share a quick testimony that just took place this very this, this very morning. And so we came as normal, right? Our gathering prayer at 7 o'clock. In case you don't know, the worship team, those who are serving the ministry, AV team, everyone, welcome ministers, prayer ministers, we all gather at 7 o'clock uh, every Sunday to pray. It's a gathering prayer. And so this morning, uh, Mayok, our prayer minister, was reading from Psalm 96. She read, she led us in prayer through Psalm 96. After that, I went back to my room. I read my own devotions. I turned the first Chronicles, chapter 15 to 17. That's the passage uh, that I was reading this morning. And then it turned out you can follow along with your own Bibles. First Chronicles, chapter 16. Well, let me begin with verse 15. First Chronicles, chapter 15. And this is David trying to move the ark to, to, to Jerusalem. He says, You are the heads of the father's household of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel to the place that I prepared for it. So notice what David says to the Levites. You are the fathers, the heads of the household. You are to carry the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. You are supposed to carry it. Before that, we also know the, what happened, uh, the, um, the tragic incident. David wanted to bring the Ark of Covenant back, right? But he didn't do it the right way. And then this guy called Uzzah, he reached out his hand, he touched the Ark, and God struck him dead. And so David was upset. How can this happen? I was trying to bring your presence back, right? And then David learned the painful lesson that only the Levites could carry the presence of God. And remember, we are the Levites in the New Testament. We are all anointed to carry the presence of God. But especially, he says, say, David says here, the heads of the household, fathers, you are supposed to carry the presence of God. And then later on, after the presence of God, out of the covenant reached the tent, David wrote a song of thanksgiving. And First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 to 33 you can read it for yourselves. This is exactly Psalm 96. Psalm 96 that Mignon read is found here in this song of thanksgiving. So it's a confirmation that what she heard from God, we read it, right? right? Psalm 96. And then that's not the end of the story. At the end of chapter 16, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 43. Then all the people departed to each to his house, and David returned home to bless his household. David returned home to bless his household, you know. And then in verse chapter 17, it's the famous chapter, God makes a covenant with David. David wants to build God a house, but God says to David, no, you shall not build me a house, your children will do it, but instead I will build you a house. And then First Chronicles 17, verse 27 ends with this. David prays, thank you Lord, right, that you have blessed my house forever. David wanted to bless God's house. In the end, his house was blessed. You see how powerful this relationship David has with God. The intimacy that David had with God to bless him and God bless his household instead. 
So the words that we say, the words that we listen to, especially the Word of God, when we listen to the Word of God, it is life-giving. God's Word has powerful consequences. Do we make time to listen to it? Let me close with this video of how a father's voice can bring about great change and impact. And if this is true, even for this small incident, how much more true, truer it will be when we make time to listen to our father's voice through his word every single day. Come, let's uh, play this video. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now, look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky and she's baby and all that stuff. And she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby. It's okay. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything. And she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up. She hears my voice and stops crying like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. I'm like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because He is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Happy Father's Day. Come, let's pray. Let's stick this time in silence. to be in God's presence, to connect with Him through His Spirit, to meditate on the words that we've just heard, on the words of Scripture. Is God giving us a warning? A warning of love, that actions have consequences and we need to stop our sinful ways? Or may God be reminding us of His great love for us, that in our times of difficulties, that He has never 
forsaken us. He is here with us. Papa God, we thank you once again for your great love for us. We pray your Holy Spirit draw us to your word every single day. For truly it is life. Father, I thank you also for the spiritual authority you've given me as the head of this Amokyo Methodist Church spiritual family. And so, Lord, I want to proclaim your blessing upon them. Actually, Amokyo Methodist Church, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His peace every single day. Amen.